Welcome to the Brett Boone Podcast, as we explore the mind of former MLB All-Star, Silver Slugger, and Gold Glove winner, Brett Boone, as he sits down with his friends from the world of professional sports. Brought to you by DraftKings Sportsbook. On this episode of the Boone Podcast, Brett sits down with the team president of business operations for the Seattle Mariners, Katie Griggs. All right, let's do this. And now, here's your host, Brett Boone. Welcome to the Boone Podcast. I'm Brett Boone, and today on the program, I sit down with the team president of business operations for the Seattle Mariners. I got to meet her recently on a a trip up to Seattle. We were unveiling the the 2023 All-Star logo. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Katie Griggs. Katie, thanks for coming on the program. Thanks for having me. On the Boone podcast here, we've had managers, general managers. I had head of the union, Donald Fear. Uh, we've had everybody, agents. I've never had a team president. So I'm excited about this. It's going to be a little bit of an educational process for me. I'm, I'm looking forward to educating to the best of my ability, Brett. Katie, do you think, and, and correct me if I'm wrong here, but back in the, in the mid-90s, they started to make movies about this industry and this side of sports. Jerry Maguire is the first one I remember. More recently, Moneyball was, was kind of well-noted and, and uh, thought it was a great movie. Do you think that's inspiring this generation of, of uh, people on, on your side of the ledger, the president's side, the front office side? I don't know about inspiring, but I think it is something that's raised awareness about all of the different ways you can work in sports. Obviously, you know, a small number of people can go on to become professional athletes or work as managers or trainers or a lot of the roles that you traditionally associate with sports. But I think movies like that have shown a spotlight on all of the different ways people can be involved, even off the field. All right. Get to your childhood. Katie Gray, what was Katie like as, as a little girl growing up in North Carolina? Uh, probably crazy and a pain in the neck. Um, I spent most of my childhood outside, right? We, I lived in a neighborhood in Raleigh, North Carolina, where there were a lot of boys, there weren't a lot of girls. Uh, and as a result, there were always sports around. I played little league with the guys until I was probably 10 or 11 or 12, somewhere in there. Um, but right behind my house, our neighbor had a, uh, batting cage, with a pitching machine and it was sandlot style baseball all the time. So, you know, it was something that was a large part of my life, but realistically, if I wasn't working in school, chances are I was running around like a crazy person somewhere outside doing something. And getting ready for this, dude, I was reading up about you. Really interesting. I mean, you were homeschooled yeah, and you entered college at the age of 14, which blows me away. Um, in the Boone family, we've got a bunch of USC grads, but, but then, you know, and they kind of give me a hard time about it. Dad's a Stanford grad and, and my son recently graduated from, from Princeton. So, so they kind of make fun of Aaron and myself for just being USC grads, but you took it to a different level. You're starting college at 14. Take me into that world. Cause I couldn't imagine. I remember when I was 14, I was a freshman in high school. And I remember trying to navigate that. You're starting in college. I want to yeah. know what that was like. <laughs> it, it was different. It was different. I got very good at avoiding the question of how old are you? Um, you know, it was something where because I had homeschooled, um, turns out math is math. French is French. Um, and it got to the point where, you know, my parents weren't, they don't speak French. And, you know, from a math standpoint, I wasn't working to learn from them. So 
talked to the folks over at NC State and they were willing to let me come and take some pre-calculus and French and see how it went. And short version is it went really well. And so after that first semester, I think my second semester, I took calculus, French too, and rock climbing, diversified a little bit. And then after that, I was there more or less full time for the next uh, three semesters before I shifted out and headed up north to Dartmouth. How'd you get to school? Uh, you know, that's a, great, <laughs> that's a great question. So it's my, uh, my parents would drag me because I obviously was unable to drive myself and we didn't live close enough for me to get there otherwise. Uh, but I definitely did the cool kid thing of, I think they dropped me off without exaggeration, a half mile away from campus because I was horrified that someone was going to see my mom or dad driving me. So, uh, yeah, my parents, my parents drove me. It was uh, the cool way to get to college. You know, you didn't. Have, it's not like you had any peers. It's it's not like, well, uh, Jenny's mom can, can take us if you can pick up, mom. I mean, <laughs> you're the only one. Your buddies are all going to high school. Uh, you're, was, you're at college. It's true. It's true. But all my friends at college didn't know, didn't know any better. So it, my, my key was to... Uh, to do the best of my ability, keep it to keep it to the point where folks just thought I was a freshman like them. So I spent a lot of time uh, trying <laughs> trying to keep my head down. It's like Doogie Hauser. A little bit, a little bit. Yeah. Um, Plus medicine. Durham Bulls. You ever go to Durham Bulls? I went to a lot of Durham Bulls. Did games. you? I did. That was my team growing up. So, uh, and it was funny because when I was there. Um, they were still at the old Durham Athletic Park, which you know you could see in Bull Durham. And I played there, I was, Katie. It's an amazing ballpark. You know, my my favorite parts of it were, you know, for me going to Durham Bulls game was freedom. And I, I know that sounds cheesy and cliche, but I remember being a little kid, like six or seven. I'd go with my dad, and you know, I sort of had free reign. Right? He it was a small park. His logic was if anyone tried to mess with a little girl, a bunch of guys would be all over him in three seconds, which is right. You know, but going to the ballpark, it was, you know, watching the home runs, which if they were hit properly, could shatter one of the abandoned factory windows behind it. You learned very quickly that I didn't want mom and dad to park too close to the, you know, right or left field lines because foul ball would go and shatter your windshield. We had a few friends who had that happen to them. But, you know, it was fun. It was a lot of fun. And then they built a beautiful minor league ballpark, you know, when I was in my, I don't know, teenage years and Frankly, it just wasn't as much fun. But uh, but no, I went. I ended up going up there. Went uh, saw saw. I don't know, probably hundreds of Durham Bulls games. At the time I was growing up. Durham Bulls, yeah. Obviously, the Costner movie uh, put it on the map. But to this day, you know, because I'm pretty critical of movies, and, and especially sports movies, and really especially baseball movies. But Durham Bulls, uh, that movie. I think it it it, it kind of encapsulated what minor league baseball is like. The, the best I've seen so far. I mean, it was pretty true. Everything they did. I remember I signed uh, in 1990 with the Mariners, and we were in that league. We were in Peninsula, Virginia, and Durham was in our league, so I got to play in the old stadium. Fast forward to I believe it was 2008. I had been out of the game for a year, and I was going to make a comeback. You know that, that midlife crisis hit me, and I said, "I'm going to I'm going to play one more year." And I signed with the Washington Nationals, and uh, I wasn't ready uh, when spring training ended. I wasn't ready yet, so I went down to AAA for a couple weeks, and we went to the new Durham Stadium. So I I had come full circle from 1990 <laughs> and then 2008. So I play. I know exactly. Uh, 
what you're talking about when you say both ballparks. Second ballpark is, is a lot bigger. It's tougher to hit a home run in. It's a nice ballpark. So here, give you a fun Bull Durham story. So when I was little, my, my missed chance at stardom is I was supposed to be an extra in Bull Durham. And uh, my mom ruined my life because as it turned out, they filmed Bull Durham in the winter in North Carolina. And well, it generally didn't get too cold in Carolina in the winter, but cold enough. And obviously the movie is supposed to be taking place you know, during spring and summer. Um, and so everyone who was there in the stands was supposed to be wearing shorts and a t-shirt. And the day that they were filming, my mom was convinced that it was too cold for me to be outside in shorts and a t-shirt. So my extra days were numbered before they even began and I didn't get to be in the movie, but woulda, coulda, shoulda. Woulda, coulda, shoulda. North Carolina, uh, you went there, you ended up uh, transferring to Dartmouth where you got your degree from. And um, you located New York it, it, at this stage, because I'm losing, I'm losing the timeline here. I got to keep remember to go back. All right. She's 14 when she starts, but you get to New York and, and you go to work for the first time. What, what, what age are you at this point? Yeah, no. So I was 21. So when I was at state, I, I started when I was 14. You're right. Um, I actually ended up applying to Dartmouth as a freshman, not because I didn't have a lot of credits, but actually because I did. Um, my concern is I didn't know what I wanted to be when I grew up. That's sort of been the thread of my career is I very jealous of people who knew from day one, they wanted to be a professional baseball player or knew they wanted to be a veterinarian or anything else. I didn't know. So look, sort of realized I was going to graduate around 18 or 19 um, and I didn't want to go to med school. I didn't want to go grab a PhD in anything. I thought I wanted to work in business, but didn't know where and thought with probably decent reason that no one was going to take a 19 year old terribly seriously in the workforce. So I started over. I, uh, you know, I had a unique and different educational experience growing up and I wanted to have four years of quote unquote normal college. So when I got to Dartmouth, I was 17 and uh, graduated when I was 21. And that's when I moved to New York. 2010, you go to work for Turner Sports. How, how does that how does that work for the people out there that that are unfamiliar with it? I don't know if there's a headhunter or, or how it comes to be. How did you get to Turner Sports? Yeah, so I worked in New York first. I was a consultant and then was flying home for Christmas one year and sat next to a woman on a plane and landed with a job offer um, and ended up switching and taking that job offer and went to a company that worked with media um, media companies, mostly TV and print in the early 2000s to help them figure out how to use the internet. And after that, I went back and got my MBA. So it was after getting my MBA that I ended at Turner. So I knew I wanted to get into sports at that point. Um, you know, for me, it was important to find a job where I could do something I personally was passionate about. And for me, sports has always played that role in my life. Um, so I knew I wanted to work in sports because I had media experience. It seemed slightly easier to get over the hurdle of not having worked in sports. If I could say I've also already worked in media um, and, you know, having an opportunity to get back down South after spending that play point in, I don't know, 10 plus years up, up in New York and New Hampshire um, was exciting to me. So we got my foot in the door at Turner and haven't looked back. How about that? We all watch, you know, Turner sports. Everybody's familiar with that cable TV. What's Take me a little bit behind the scenes of, of okay, you, you show up. What's your job? What do you, what are yeah. you, yeah, what are you in charge of? Uh, I, I was a manager of something. I don't even remember what it was at that point, but basically my job was doing media rights negotiations and cross-platform content strategy. So 
thinking differently, really, it's if you've got the right to, we'll stick with uh, NASCAR as an example, because they did at that point. They had digital rights. They had TV rights. What do they want to put on the website? What do they want to put on different social media platforms? What do they want to put on the app? What should be on TV? How do you think about getting the right information to people in a way that they actually want to engage with it? So spent a lot of time doing that. And then anytime you know, media rights came up, like I remember working on you know, World Cup. I remember working on NHL the first time around. They've got it this time. Um, doing the math, figuring out, all right, well, how much would it cost to produce the shows? How much do we think that we could get from commercials or sponsorships on top of it? And basically, how do you make the business model work? And based on that, how much could you afford to offer um, the different leagues or conferences or what have you? So um, I really, I had a phenomenal experience there. I got to learn a lot about the business. I got to work with a lot of different sports properties and a bunch of amazing creative people. Um, But I did a lot of different things during my time there, but that was where I got started. And recently, uh, there's realignment going on. The USC, UCLA going to the Big Ten. I'm hearing big numbers out of Fox. And, and what, are you, what are you thinking of all this right now? now? Me, just as a USC grad, I'm thinking, I put myself back in, into my college years playing baseball. Went, wow. Now our travel change changes quite a bit. That's, that's what the athlete in me thinks of. But obviously, without knowing what's really going on, being a layman in this field, I'm thinking, well, it must be good. There must be a lot of money being made by these universities to just pick up after just having this, you know, forever track record of being Pac-10, Pac-12 schools and all of a sudden going to the Big Ten. And it seems like the whole landscape of, of college sports is kind of changing. Yeah, no, I think it's a really interesting time for college sports. And, you know, I'm obviously on the outside looking in at this point, but you know, when you're looking at the dollars that are in play, the interesting thing about sports is it is still one of the few sort of live appointment viewing programs. Because if you think about the way that people are now watching TV, a lot of it is Netflix or Prime or different streaming platforms where you don't have to tune in Tuesday night at 8 p.m. anymore. So if you're an advertiser who's looking to get in front of these different groups and have time-specific programming, or you're looking for a large group of people who are all going to be engaging at the same time, sports still presents a really unique opportunity. And so, you know, I think there's a heightened premium on quality content that has strong fan affinity and people who are going to want to tune in. And the reality is there are only so many different platforms that can afford to pay those dollars, but for those platforms... You know, look, if you've got something where you know there's a big crowd of people who are going to want to tune in in a world that's getting increasingly fractured, that's that's worth something. And well, it 1. is. 1.1 something, 1.1 billion something. Right. I, so. <laughs> and, I'm, and I was thinking about that, too. I'm thinking, I've been in some pretty, you know, high-level negotiations doing my contracts and stuff like that. But then I'm thinking, Katie's been in, and, and we're, we're, we're negotiating we're negotiating billions of dollars now. So it's a different, you know, it's just a whole different animal for me, but uh, no, very definitely, very definitely uh, interesting. Uh, in 2015, you leave Turner sports and, and I know uh, some of your traits are, you, you, I think you explain yourself as impatient, uh, <laughs> but it seems to me you're going to future sports and entertainment. Correct me if I'm wrong on that. But it seems like at, at this point in your career, is that a risk? Take, no. are you, or, or is that something that, that you had calculated and said, no, this is where I want to go to the next step of my career? 
Yeah, no, it's it's a good question. I think it's a little bit of both. You know, I, I love growing things, right? I love finding new opportunities and figuring out how do you create something that has value and growing it. And, you know, for me, part of it is growing myself, right? Taking Taking new chances, learning new things, working with different people and figuring out how do I build on the skill sets and experiences I've had to do more. Um, I had an incredible experience at Turner, um, but really this was an opportunity where unlike Turner, which obviously is a very, very large company, this was coming in and effectively starting something from scratch, right? I had to learn how to sell. It was terrifying, right? I had the opportunity where it was a little bit, a little bit more all, all on me in terms of whether we succeeded or failed. I had to, we had zero clients when I started. We had 30 some odd when I left. We had zero employees when I started. We had a lot more than zero when I left, but it really was an opportunity for me to build on everything I'd learned at Turner and the extent to which I understood how the media landscape work, how sponsorships work, how different companies think about um, media and media not only in the United States, but all around the world. And what does that, what does that mean? Um, and how do you grow it? And sort of, you know, it's a challenge. Can I do this? And I had some really amazing contacts over at Octagon, um, which is part of the Interpublic Group of Companies, which is a agency group, and they were willing to give me a chance. And so for me, it was the opportunity to go and work alongside some people that I highly respected and frankly put my money where my mouth was and see if I could figure it out and do it. And it went, it went really well, but it was a lot of fun. And going back to when you said you were coming out 19 years old um, and you thought, I didn't have that dream of, I don't know what I want to do. I know, I know I want to keep going and, and the education was so unique in itself, but now you're getting to a point in your life. It's 2017. And obviously what you had done uh, at the consulting, uh, the sports consulting firm was you did impress some people. Cause in 2017, Atlanta, uh, Atlanta United, calls and they hire you it's an expansion team but now going back to when you were 19 years old are you thinking all right it's starting to come together i know growing up you loved sports you loved baseball i think you played soccer and basketball now is it kind of coming together for well now i'm here i'm going to be running a major sports franchise you know it's it's really funny i don't know that i ever thought about it like that and even you know even skipping ahead a little bit to the Mariners. I get asked a lot, did you always know you wanted to be a major league baseball team president? And the answer is no, because it never even occurred to me that was an option. Um, I think Atlanta United, it was a little bit of the same. So to your point in 2017, Atlanta United um, started before I joined. So they played their first games, I believe in March of 2017. I joined uh, later that summer before they moved into Mercedes-Benz Stadium. Um at that point in time, so I'd been living in Atlanta since 2009. I did, I guess my son was a year and a half old at that point in time. It, Atlanta had become our home. Um, and I've had the really distinct pleasure of getting to go to a lot of different sporting events over my life. And I remember going to the first Atlanta United game. They were playing over at Georgia Tech um, when they first started because the stadium wasn't ready yet. I went there as a fan. And I remember watching and I had to park a ways away and walk over to the stadium. And what really struck me is Atlanta's a, an amazing city. It's a really diverse city full of fascinating people. And you generally don't necessarily see that diversity reflected 
in a given place. It's more reflected throughout the community. But walking to the Atlanta United game, I remember going through some tailgates and I saw for the first time, and I guess at that point had been this seven plus years I'd lived in Atlanta. I felt like I saw the entire city coming together. You know, it was black, it was white, it was old, it was young. There was English, there was Spanish, there were all sorts of other languages. And, you know, sports ability to bring people together around a shared passion is something that, you know, at that point in time was a relatively new mom. You know, I wanted to be a part of that. And so when I got the phone call, um, <laughs> not convinced I was terribly qualified, but apparently someone else thought, thought differently. Um, but it really did come down to, it was a chance to be a part of something that on its best days brought a community together and brought people joy. And you can't ask for much more than that. Or at least I couldn't. You know, recently on, on the show we've had, I had Pat Gillick on recently and uh, Buck Showalter in different capacities. They were both a part of, of uh, expansion teams. Um, Buck back in the day with the Arizona Diamondbacks and Pat with the Toronto Blue Jays. And being that Atlanta United, it's, it, it's an expansion team. Were there any special challenges to that being expansion? You know, it's interesting. So, I, I, in, admittedly, I joined halfway through their inaugural season, um, and the team had done an incredible job of launching the brand. But I think one of the things that's interesting when you're in the expansion side, and it's different than here at the Mariners or with a more established team, is it's a good thing and a bad thing, right? It's You start with a white sheet of paper. Now, the advantage of that is there are no artificial constraints, right? You can really think about how do you want to do things and it's long, as long as it's permitted within league guidelines and you can do it right because you're not you're not having to work with legacy you're not having to work with this is the way things have always been done you know but the flip side of that is you know you don't have the brand to build on you don't have the fan base that's already there and established you really have to start from scratch and so i think you know from my standpoint the experience i had working on the franchise or excuse me working on the expansion side you know it was a tremendous amount of opportunity, a lot of blue sky thinking, um, but also it required that you be paying close attention and be prepared to pivot quickly um, because, you know, we were building that base set of knowledge. We were learning what our fans liked and what our fans didn't like live. Um, and so we had to be prepared to change very, very quickly because we didn't have those established norms yet. One 2019 uh, named team of the year. And you set attendance records. And it, it seems now that you know, the kind of the path you're on, it seems like, okay, here's the next thing. And, and you humbly put it, like you said, with, I didn't, you didn't know if you were qualified. Obviously, someone at every step of your, of your career flight, they're noticing something. And now all of a sudden, it's 2019. Now we're getting to the Mariners, which, what is that, 2021? Yeah. You get a call, you get a call from the Mariners. First thought. Uh, first thought was, oh, I they must be wondering who I know and make, I'm looking for recommendations. Uh, I, it didn't occur to me they actually wanted to talk to me. <laughs> <laughs> so that was that was the first thought. Um, once once I got through and realized that they actually wanted to talk to me, it it really was you know, Seattle is a city that had always been on my list and my husband's list of if we were to move. Seattle was a city we. Or would be excited to move to. Um, 
know, like I said, I, I grew up, I grew up watching baseball, grew up playing baseball, loved the sport. And I think again, similar to what we discussed around when I made the decision to leave um, Turner and join Futures or made the decision to join um, Atlanta United and left Futures. The, the reality is this was another chance to learn, right? This is something I'm passionate about. This is a team where I believed in the ownership group. I had a great conversation as things went on with Jerry and understanding how he's wired, what success would look like for his side. Is this someone with whom I felt I could have? a productive and positive work um, relationship because that's absolutely critical for this type of role. Um, and I believe in the direction of the team. I thought that there's tremendous opportunity here in Seattle. It's a fantastic brand. It's a fantastic city. And, you know, looking at the rebuild work that's been underway, um, talking to Jerry and Justin Hollander about what was ahead, you know, I felt there's, there was a place where, you know, better days were ahead and I would have the opportunity and the buy-in to actually really push to hopefully continue to build on all of the special things that are here to take things to a place that I knew everyone wanted to go. And I can vouch it is a special city. And, and when, when the teams win in the city of Seattle, the people come and they're passionate. It's just, you know, and I hate to bring it up because I'm pulling as hard as anybody, you know, it's been 20 years since, since we've gone to the postseason, and I can see a little bit of a difference now, uh, just in the past two or three months. I, you know, I, I talked about it at the top of the show. I, I was up there recently, and I noticed a little, a little difference when I walked around the city. The baseball fans and interacting with them, there was a little bit of a buzz. Like, and, and they would ask me, "Brett, what do you think?" I said. I think you're going to go to the postseason for the first time in 20 years. I saw a little bit of excitement, and I haven't seen that. I've been back several times uh, since I retired, and I haven't seen that excitement until until this year. So uh, my fingers are still crossed. I, we got a lot more to get on to, but uh, it is it is a wonderful city. Difference for you coming in, and I know you've heard this so many times, and that's not what uh, necessarily motivates you, but you are the first female to be a team president in Major League Baseball, you're the highest ranking woman in Major League Baseball. Um, and a little bit of a difference from coming from Atlanta United, just the overall uh, the schedule. All of a sudden, it's 162 games. Does that change? Are there, are there more challenges than that? Because it's not like a football season. It's not 17 weeks. <laughs> no, it, it, you I'm know. a little jealous. I'm a little jealous of that. Um no, it's it definitely there are definitely a lot of baseball games. Um, you know, I think in terms of I'll give you I'll give you the the pros and the cons. And I mean, you've obviously lived this, so I suspect you've got an opinion on it as well. You know, from my standpoint, the absolute best thing about having 81 regular season home games is it's 81 chance for us to go out and learn and do better, right? It's a you don't have to figure out, hey, is this something that works? Is this something that didn't work? Is this something that our fans like? Is this something that didn't? And then wait a week, two weeks, three weeks, or God forbid, a season before you can do something about it, right? We have an opportunity to have a really dynamic live learning laboratory that, you know, executed to the best of our ability means that we'll constantly be striving to actually better serve the needs of our fans here in Seattle and the broader Pacific Northwest region. Um, so for me, that's really fun and exciting um the flip side is i have a 
six-year-old little boy and a three-year-old little girl at home. My husband has a real job as well. And, you know, we are, we're definitely no different than a lot of working families and trying to figure out how do you juggle and make things work. So we're still learning, um, you know, but I think something that I've heard from a lot of people and experienced, um, experienced over Atlanta United, and it's, if anything, sort of um, amplified here in the world of baseball is it's, you know, the sport becomes part of your life. You know, my kids have gotten to have some amazing experiences, um, but we spend a lot of time at the ballpark, but there are a lot of, a uh, lot of worse places you could be. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, I've always looked at it, obviously from an athlete standpoint of 160, it's, it's what I've always known. I, there's no other uh, less of a schedule, you know, 162 on the surface <laughs> talking to people sounds like, Oh my gosh, it's so overwhelming. But when you're in it, that's just what we do. So I always looked at it from an, uh, from an athlete standpoint of no, it's 81 games and it's a grind. And I've had these, these debates with other athletes from, you know, around the world of sports from whether it be NHL or, or NBA or the NFL. Yeah, I remember talking to uh, an NFL quarterback and having this debate on the mental side, which is tougher, playing baseball or football. Oh, he was saying, Brett, it's football. You know, it's one. Th- I said, listen, yeah, once a week, you go out and have a good game. You're, you're, you're skipping around for the next week waiting for your <laughs> next game. But then I, when I really looked at the other side of the ledger, it's like, yeah, but if he has a bad week, man, that week probably goes so slow getting his next opportunity. Whereas baseball, pros and cons as well. You know, if, if I'm hot and I'm feeling good and that ball's looking good to me coming in, I can't wait to get to the ballpark and I can't wait to play tomorrow and the next day and the next day. Quite the contrary, when I'm scuffling, my team's scuffle. We're not winning. Oh, it's like going to that ballpark. It's like, oh, I have to go again. And there's no escaping it because it's today and it's tomorrow and it's the next day and it never goes away. So I, I guess there's there's pros and cons. Any now as an ex-player, now as a fan of the game, I do look at it uh, from from different perspectives when it comes to, um, you know, I'm very, when it comes to the game of baseball, I've always been very, um, what's the word I'm looking for? I don't like to change many things. You know, I think, no, it's, when I played, this is the way we played, and I don't want to change this, this, and this. Well, all of a sudden now, as, as, the days go on and I get a little bit older, I look at the game as a whole and I think, wow, this is really good. I looked at the six playoff spots, uh, for instance, this year, first time in baseball that we've had six in the American League, six in the National League. And I think, no, it's easier. You know, it, it, it cheapens going to the playoffs. But then I step back and I look at it. No, this is great for the game of baseball. More cities are involved. Uh, so I, I, I'm kind of taking to some of the new changes that are coming. 2022, life moves on. Get, you know, the game changes. You can kill, still keep the same game, but just move it on and, and make it, you know, kind of more relative to the times. Um, let's talk about the fans a little bit. I know they're very important to you. I always look around. They are the most important thing. They're what makes this thing go. So uh, your interaction what are the uh, what are the things you try to try to do with fans and and I don't know take me through a day of Katie Griggs. Yeah, no, it, it, it's interesting. I mean, I so to your point, I think fans fans are the judge, right? Like fans fans are why everything matters. Going to an empty ballpark or an empty uh, soccer venue, like the reality is, unfortunately, we got to see what that looked like during COVID in 2020, and it's different. 
it's, I mean, the sport's still there. You still see some incredible athleticism, but the dynamic is different when you don't have the fans there to create that energy, create that vibe. And so from our standpoint, it really is about listening to them. You know, I didn't come to Seattle assuming that everything we did in Atlanta would make sense here. I didn't necessarily know this market, didn't know the sport. Obviously, I've been a fan, but it doesn't mean that I came in knowing all of the answers. And, you know, we've got an incredible organization here of people who care deeply about the Pacific Northwest, who care deeply about the sport of baseball. But for me, I really wanted to have a chance to learn. So I started <laughs> almost exactly a year ago and was here for the last 20 home games of the regular season in 2021. And what that meant is I spent almost all of those games getting tickets in probably about three different parts of the ballpark per game. I went and sat, looked at the fans around me, watched from the different vantages inside our ballpark, saw what people were doing, sort of heard what they liked, heard what they didn't like, walked around the concourse, saw where people seemed to be going, getting food, saw where there were lines, saw where there were pinch points, looked at all of the data regarding sort of where did we actually have good sales, where were places underperforming, and then had a had two different um, basically fan listening sessions near the end of the season where one of them was with season ticket members hearing directly from them and just having a conversation about what they liked and what they didn't like and why they were season ticket members. And then another one with some single game buyers and people who frankly actually hadn't bought tickets in a couple of years, understanding why were they only buying single game tickets or why weren't they coming at all? Um, and over the off season worked with the team to come up with a strategy for how do we make things better? going into 2022, no differently than, you know, what they've been doing on the baseball side in terms of identifying those opportunities and what is it going to take to set them up for success, not only this year, but in years to come. That's what we're trying to do on the business side, right? It really does come down to how do we make sure T-Mobile Park is a place where fans feel welcome, they feel safe, they feel appreciated, um, and they can have a good time. And recognizing that What's a good time to you may be different than what's a good time to me, and that's okay. And it's one of the things that's amazing about the ballpark that we have here in Seattle is there's so many different experiences you can have. Um, we just have an opportunity to do a better job of telling those stories so a fan who's coming here for the first time can find the experience that's right for him or her. Right? And to your point, I think one of the things that is special about the um, number of games in the baseball season, I talked about the opportunity to – learn and quickly get better. It also means that we actually have to have an incredible opportunity as a baseball team. We have 81 games, roughly 47,000 seats per game. I mean, just from a scale standpoint, we have the ability to reach a huge number of people in and around our region. You know, the reality is for the Seahawks, you know, they have eight or nine regular season games. That's, that's it. Right. You know, so when they're out of seats, they're out of seats. And so what that means is, you know, prices change accordingly, just based on the demand. And that prices out a lot of people. Um, and for baseball, because we have the number of games that we do, we have the ability to welcome in a much broader swath of people. And for me, that's something that I take very seriously and something that's really exciting as well. As an ex player in this, when I'm playing, you know, I think. Because we're we're caught up in the on on the field stuff, you know. I got to worry about who's pitching tonight. I got to worry about who's pitching tomorrow night. Uh, you know, how's my swing? I've, I've got so many different things, and and at time to time, I 
I come up into the offices at, at Seattle. Back then it was Safeco Field. Now, as you mentioned, it's T-Mobile Park. Um, and I would see, it seemed like hundreds of people in the office, busy doing, going about their jobs. And I just, I never stopped to think, what do all these people do? <laughs> you know? I mean, it, it, I get a call in the, in the locker room and they say, you know, you said you wanted to change your walk-up song tonight. Uh, what would you like it to be? And I, you know, I'd throw out a jingle and all of a sudden I'd come off the on-deck circle and make, my new song was playing. And I just, oh, yeah, because I ordered it earlier. It just happens. Uh, what do all those people do in those uh, up, in, <laughs> up in the front office? No, you're right. There, there are hundreds of uh, hundreds of people up here who are working incredibly hard every single day to ensure that our fans and our athletes in our city um, all have the experience that they're hoping to have. So it it runs a gamut. I mean, there's so many different jobs. And this is part of what's fun about working in the business of sports is you know, you don't have to be a certain type of person, right? You could be a finance person where instead of working for an accounting firm, you work for a baseball team. You could be a lawyer who works for a baseball team. Maybe you're working on the contracts with players, but maybe you're working on contracts with sponsors or with your concessionaire. You know, there are people who are working on merchandise and figuring out, you know, what kind of T-shirts or hats are going to resonate with our fans. You know, there's marketing and people who are thinking of the social media. And to your point, all of the amazing videos that they do for in-game productions or the fireworks, right? But then there are a lot of people doing incredible work behind the scenes, whether it's, you know, the chefs that are serving both down in the clubhouse as well as all our concession locations, whether it's, you know, the people who are providing security in and around the ballpark on game days and beyond, to housekeeping. I mean, think about the square footage of this. I'm bad enough at keeping my own house clean. And this is something where you've got, you know, a million or so square feet or more that you need to actually ensure overnight can look like, you know, this is the first time someone's been here. Because when someone comes to the ballpark, they expect it to be clean. So do we. You know, so it really is something where there are an incredibly large number of people doing a very, very wide array of different roles behind the scenes to ensure that, you know, everything looks like it just happened. And when we do our job as well as we can, the result is it looks easy, right? It feels natural. Everything's working the way it should. You know, the best the best news for us is when we don't hear anything. When we hear things, it generally means something's gone a little bit sideways. And when I get into this, we talk about all the different dynamics and everything going on. And you kind of, you're overseeing all that. It seems like a lot. Uh, it, it really does. I mean, it comes down to, uh, Katie, we were thinking about having a, uh, you know, they've got the legends race in, in Phoenix, uh, the president's race in, in Washington and the kind of the famous hot dog race in Milwaukee's been there for, I mean, Seattle doesn't have something like that, but would people, is that how it would start? It's like, they'd bring it, Hey, hey what do you think about this? Well, that might be good. And, or, or do you defer them? To, no, go talk to, to this guy for that. Bring that idea back. How, yeah. how does that? How does that go? It seems he seems kind of cool, though. He's got a lot of different things. When you're grinding on one thing for a while, it seems like you have the outlet of, oh, this is something interesting over here. I'll get back to you a little bit later. <laughs> no, I mean, like you know, it, my job is no different than a lot of leadership jobs. You know, my goal is to get the right people together and give them the freedom and the resources to actually do what they do well. Right. The reality is. You don't want me running marketing. That'd be a disaster. I'm not a phenomenally talented marketer. We have phenomenally talented marketers on our role. What my job is, is to help ensure that 
all of our incredible marketers are talking to the people our lawyers, turns out they matter too, are talking to our ticket sales reps or talking to our community relations department, right, to ensure that people have the full picture. Because in our business, no different than every other business, you know, things don't happen in a vacuum. So decisions on one side of the organization can make a difference on other sides. So to your point on the president's race or a general mascot race, uh, you know, something like that, well, if you choose to do something, might make sense. That's wonderful. But there could be implications in terms of, okay, well, that now impacts our field crew. What does that mean? Oh, well, we actually need a dressing room for them. Where do we go from a ballpark operation standpoint to ensure we have a place for these individuals to get ready? You know, none of these things are insurmountable, but it does mean that it takes a lot of people working together to come up with these ideas and bring them to execution. Um, but I think for me, that's, that is one of the fun parts is, that we've got a bunch of people who can think incredibly creatively and then work with each other to figure out what are the best ideas, what's going to make sense, what's going to resonate with our fans, what's going to resonate with our athletes, and make it happen. Mariners, uh, the commercials are just something that Seattle kind of famous for. They, they always do an awesome job. Kevin Martinez kind of heads that. I've, I've you know, worked with him a lot through the years and it's, well, it's kind of boggling my mind. It's like, Oh, you gotta, you gotta, Oh, we have a giveaway on Friday. How does that come together? The beer's <laughs> warm. An usher was rude to me. Who's hears about that? Who has to handle that? You know, I mean, the, the little things that you don't think about just they're not right there on the surface. There's a lot that goes into it. Oh, there's it's, a ton that goes into it. It's, and it's interesting to your point, you know, with the beer being warm, the interesting thing is through Major League Baseball, after every single game, they send out a survey. So a lot of your listeners, if they've come to our game or games at other ballparks, have probably gotten them. We get thousands of responses after every single game telling us what we did well, telling us places where we can improve. And, you know, it's, it's actually a huge luxury because it does mean, to your point, hey, if there's a warm beer, we can go in, we can figure out, was there something wrong with a kegerator? Was it something wrong with a cooler? Did it just sit somewhere too long? But we really can dive in. And as crazy as it seems, we look at every single comment. We'll get thousands of them. We will look at every single comment and figure out, is this something that seems to be a pervasive challenge? Um, is this something that seems to be a one-off? Is it something we can easily fix now? Is it something we need to create a strategy that's a little bit bigger and broader to attack? But to that end, we know for a fact no one likes standing in line to wait for a beer or a hot dog, right? That's something that our fans have made made very clear. And as a fan, you know, I think all of us would agree with them. You know, so going into this season, we worked with Amazon and launched a grab-and-go location where you can just go swipe your credit card on the way in, go grab anything you want, whether it's a foam finger, a beer, a Coke, hot dog. And you just walk out. You don't get stopped. You don't have to wait in line. You can just pick up your stuff and you can go. Um, and it is something where, again, some fixes are easier than others, but it is. But we spend a lot of time and energy really identifying what are the places where, you know, they aren't currently working as well as they could for our fans and how do we make them better? True or false? Great homestand. Let's say you go six and one. We'll go seven and two. Less negative responses. Oh, 100%. It is uh, you know, 100%. It's, it's funny. You know, we, we look at it and there's definitely a correlation between uh, what's happening on the field and what happens and how our fans are receive, sort of receiving it in the stands. Uh, you can tell I mean, we've got the data. There's mathematical correlation. So 
beer is colder when the team's playing well. The music is better. You know, lines are shorter. Um, the reality is that's part of it, right? This isn't something where we've got a business that's operating over on one side and Jerry and Justin, the baseball side are operating on the other. And, you know, this is, we're in it together, right? And so our job is to be supportive of each other and ensure that we're setting Jerry, Justin, and all of the guys on the team up to be as happy and as comfortable as possible because, you know, when they're playing better, our fans are more engaged and ultimately, you know, we're looking for that postseason run. We're looking to win. You know, that was, that was Jerry in my conversation before I ever started was, is this an organization that wants to win? He wants to win. I want to win. I know our players want to win. And so our job is to look at how do we make sure that everything we're doing on the business side helps support the baseball side in that, because it really is something where we both have to be pulling in the same direction to be successful. Uh, going back, and this is a fond memory I have my childhood. I grew up in Philadelphia. Uh, my dad through 1981 played for the Phillies before he got traded to the West coast. But I remember in 1980, the Phillies won the world series. Um, the flyers went to the Stanley cup final Sixers went to the NBA final and the Eagles went to the super. And I remember the electricity in that city. It was unbelievable. Everybody was winning. Fans were, you know, the, the World Series was unbelievable itself because that directly kind of affected me because I got to go on the float, go down, you know, go down the boulevard on the, on, the, on the float the next day for the parade. That was awesome. But I remember that city when everybody was winning at the same time. Are you finding, I know it's only, you know, you've only been there a year, but what's the relationship with the other teams in the city? And I'm talking, you know, it's the Seahawks, Sounders. Now the Kraken is the new team in town. Um, it seems like you're a competitor on the field, but kind of partners off the field. Does that make sense? No, I think that's exactly right. I mean, to your point on Philadelphia and that era, you know, a healthy sports ecosystem is good for everyone, right? You know, this is something where even within the world of baseball, you know, we're competing on the field. But from a business standpoint, we all want to grow the game, right? This is something we're doing because – we love it and we want to be able to do what we're doing bigger and better. And so while we're obviously wanting to make sure that we win when we're going head to head against another club, when it comes to a lot of the business dynamics, we all just want to be the best. And if that means cooperating from each with each other and learning from what others have done, that's a good thing. It's the same here in Seattle, right? So I spend a fair amount of time talking to the leaders other at the other sports teams here in Seattle, you know, we're supportive of one another. You know, there are a couple of times where maybe you have a Sounders game or you have a Kraken game that's around the same time as ours and people have to make decisions as to whether they go to one or the other. But for the most part, you know, having sports fans who are engaged and excited in the community is a good thing. And it's a good thing that benefits all of us. So we're definitely partners off of the field, but perhaps competitors on the field. What's the next big thing in baseball? You see anything? You know what I was interested? I, I, I was really fascinated by. I was watching a game the other day, and it was just like on the baseball network. And it, it was let's let's call it Kansas City against Milwaukee. I don't know what the two teams were, but I'm sitting here in San Diego, and we're talking about the, the technology now and how how different it is now versus 25 years. 25 years ago, there wasn't even advertisement on the out at the ballpark on the walls that was just for the minor leagues now it's everywhere but i'm watching those little you know i think the virtual signs behind home plate and they were advertising 
San Diego type products. And I'm watching Kansas City, Milwaukee. And I'm going, how, how the hell is this going on? Pretty cool. Pretty cool. No, technology is allowing us to do a lot of a lot of interesting things. I think, you know, that will continue to evolve, you know, how we can better serve and get content to people in a way that they want to consume it. I think that's something that's definitely going to continue to unfold. You know, it's interesting watching my little boy and some of his friends, you know, when they think about baseball, thankfully they think about the Mariners here in Seattle or else I'd be in big trouble. But a lot of how they're learning about baseball is by learning about it through video games. Their favorite players may be on goodness knows what team, and it's a player they like playing with. And it's just a different way of learning about the game than when I was growing up, right? And I think that's something we're continuing to work to figure out how do we get in front of different audiences? What are the characteristics of the game that resonate with them? How do we make sure this is a game that's, you know, all sorts of different people can see themselves and see a place for them as a fan? You know, that's... That's important. You know, this is, it's an incredible game. It's a fun game. It's something that brings communities together. And we need to make sure that we're doing as good a job as we can on the business side of elevating the personalities and the actual humans who are on our baseball teams, not forcing them to be baseball playing robots, right? Finding those opportunities where our fans can find those points of commonality or points of connection or just, hey, this seems like a guy I'd like to go grab a beer with. Because again, as I'm sure you know much better than I, with 162 games, everyone has a bad day, right? Every, hopefully you have more good days than bad days. But on those bad days, you know, we need to make sure that we're setting our athletes up so our fans feel a personal connection with them, right? Recognizing that we need them to be there. We need them to be supportive on good days as well as on bad days. And a lot of that comes down to really how do we build stronger connections and highlight the amazing men that we have playing baseball on our team. For you personally, What's the, what's Katie's ideal for the future of the Seattle Mariners? Uh, World Series champions. That would be nice, wouldn't it? <laughs> so it's a pretty simple answer. Yeah. No, I think. Look, it, I, that truly that is that is my ideal. Um, but it it really is leveraging the fact that we have incredible fans across a five state region. You know, if we're doing everything we can on the business side to the best of our ability. I want this to feel like a place where regardless of who you are, you are welcome and you can come and have a fantastic time. Because I believe that experience exists already. We just have an opportunity to even continue to refine it and better tell the story going forward. But a World Series championship certainly would help. What's it like watching a game? Nervous? Want to watch? Turn away? I, I know your job, we've already, we've already talked about it. Your job is different than the baseball side, but probably equal on the interest side. You both want to yeah. win. You want, you both want to win. So, you know, when there's a big, uh, a big game, a big series in town, but you're up in you're up in the booth and you're kind of thinking, well, no, I'm, I'm chatting. I'm a, one eye on the game. What, what's it like for you going through a game, especially you know, when it's con considered a big series or a big game? It's funny. I'm still trying to figure that out a little bit on the baseball side. I think because there are so many games, I'll tell you with soccer, we played probably roughly 40 games a season um, across different competitions when I was with Atlanta United. I lived and died by every single one. Um, I don't know that that is necessarily something that is going to be beneficial for me or anyone on my team if I do that um, 162 times over the course of the year. With that being said, it's especially those big moments 
it's it's hard not to get excited. It's hard not to get nervous. I remember that final homestand last season when, you know, until I think it was about the eighth inning of the 162nd game, we were still in it for postseason consideration. Um, you know, we had a really, really big last three games. And I think at one point I was out in the hallway um, and we hit a, hit a run to tie it up maybe. And I just stayed in the hallway for the rest of the game. So I was like, okay, they scored. I was in the hallway. I'm not allowed to leave the hallway. And so I basically paced up and down the hallway until we managed to get the W that night. Um, so I am, I believe, I believe in the baseball gods. I believe, I believe in you the better. <laughs> you better. I believe in the superstition behind it. Um, and so for me, it really is something where I, I try to distract myself, but ultimately, you know, I am, I am here. I am cheering on everyone. It's just sometimes I have to be a little bit more quiet about it than uh, others. Well, you know, and I don't know if you struggle with this as a player. I always, you know, I, I wasn't a very emotional guy on the field. I didn't want to let anybody see me react when I was, when I was young, I had a bit of a temper and I, you know, over time with a little maturity, a little experience, I, I kind of, I honed that, but even the biggest moments, you know, a, a hit a big home run at the perfect time, a walk-off hit where inside there's fireworks going off. I always wanted to remain poised until I got back into the locker room or got back in the dugout. Now I can celebrate with, you know, with my teammates and that's great, but I never, it's like they always say, never let them see you sweat. Well, also I didn't want to go on the other side and never let them see me get too excited. I always thought at even keel, never get too high, never get too low, but I'd always fight it because I wanted to just jump up and down. Nope. Wait till I get around the bases. Wait till I get the dugout where the cameras are gone. And now I can go crazy with my buddies. Um, do you fight that? Some owners, some uh, general managers in the game, you see them up in the booth, they're pacing, they're cheering. They're not. Do you ever, do you ever fight that? Like, well, wait a minute. I'm the president of the club. I've got to remain poised. I have people around that I'm talking to, you know, ticket holders, this and that. Or do you just let, you just let that emotion go on your sleep? You know, it, it's interesting. I think to what you were just saying, if it is a negative reaction, I've gotten much better at burying it publicly until I'm in a socially acceptable place to get grouchy. Um, but when things are good, uh, you let I'm it go. Gonna be, I'm going to be the team's number one fan. I think that's part of my job is celebrating the celebrating the wins. It's celebrating the amazing things that's happening. And ultimately for me, as amazing as it is when, you know, things happen on the field and we get the win, I get so much energy from the crowd, right? You know, one of the things that was special just a few weeks ago when we were playing the Yankees in that 13-inning game, no one left. Everyone was on their feet. It was, an, it was nothing, nothing, right, forever. But everyone was living and dying by every pitch, right? From an excitement standpoint, from an ed the energy was tangible. It was, I mean, you know, Jesse, I think coined the electric factory language earlier this season, but it's true. Right. And for me, it's, it's being part of something that's bigger than myself. It's being part of something that's really bringing community together. Like as amazing it is watching someone hit a home run, get a walk off, what have you. It really is about for me, celebrating the wins for the team, but really celebrating the wins for all of our fans and all of our community and seeing that all come together. That gets me super excited. So I allow myself to cheer. I just don't allow myself to get too publicly frustrated when things aren't going our way. 
Katie Griggs, uh, I appreciate this. This is a lot of fun. Just letting me in a little bit and, and know the inner workings and what, what really goes on behind the scene. I think that's cool. And I think our audience is going to, going to love it. Best of luck to you this year. Uh, I think I'm telling you, I've gone on record many times. I think this is a year we're going to get back to the postseason. And once you get there, you never know. You never know how far you can go. So uh, it's been a pleasure. I appreciate it. And what we do each and every Boone podcast at the end of the podcast is we kick it to the voice of the podcast. And that voice is Dan Levy. Dan? That's going to do it for the Brett Boone podcast. My name is Dan Levy, the technical director, producer, voice of the Boone podcast, EP, executive producer, Richerera Digital. All gets uploaded by Liz Landry. Do us a favor. Share the Boone podcast. Neighbors and friends and all those that love sports, make sure you subscribe never miss an episode and while you're at it give us a five star rating and share your feelings about the podcast by leaving a review on whatever platform you listen to the show for all of us here on the moon podcast he is brett boone you can find him on social media at the moon 29 i'm dan levy b-a-s-s on air that is base on air all my social medias thanks for listening we'll do it again soon have a great one